Welcome to the Transcend Human Podcast. My name is Daryl McMullen, and this is a show where we discuss how we can rise above the human condition. We address topics that we all wrestle with because we're all human. And together we look for more positive ways to respond to the world around us. Thank you for joining us on the journey. We hope today's topic is exactly what you need for the week ahead. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the Transcend Human Podcast. It is July 19th, 2021. Great to be with you on another early Monday morning. So July 19th, that is crazy. I'm trying to think if there's an actual official middle point to the summer. Uh, And I don't know if there is or not. I didn't do any research on this, but it definitely feels like we are pushing past the middle of the summer already. Uh, you know, with schools getting out at the end of May, early June, you know, that's a month, over a month and a half away from when school ended. So yeah, it's, it's pretty much in the middle somewhere. Uh, it's a little weird this summer because our middle daughter uh, just came home from New York a week ago. And, you know, she had to stay for a full summer session because of COVID-19. So it's thrown us off a little bit. But yeah, so here we are, halfway through the summer already. Just ridiculous when you think about it. Uh, before you know it, it'll be middle of August, end of August, and our oldest will be headed back to college. And then the other two to follow pretty short after. So there you have it. All right. Uh, hopefully things are going well for you this summer and you're able to get out, do some things, experience some some time together as a family. Uh, before the school year starts back up again. So let's jump into our minute of transparency. This week, I'm going to call it Building Blind. So we recently watched as a as a nation, as a country, as the world, um, watched as a building collapsed in Surfside, Florida. Uh, over 100 people lost their lives. And at this point, the full cause, I don't think, has even been determined. Uh, obviously, there was something very wrong with the building, right? It wasn't structurally sound. Uh, but this isn't the building that I want to talk about today. So living in California, we immediately started hearing news reports about a building in our state, one that has been having obvious and documented issues for quite a while now, at least uh, three, four years. Uh, it's called the Millennium Tower, uh, built in 2009. It's it's in downtown San Francisco. Uh, this building cost over, I think, $350 million to build, which you know cost more than that, right? Because all projects go over budget. Uh, but it's known as the as your city within the city. It's a 58-story condominium skyscraper uh, with over 400 uh, available residential spaces inside. And each of those goes for well over a million dollars right now, I think. So it was built to be one of the tallest and most luxurious places to live in the world. But in 2015, the engineers noticed something. Uh, It appeared that the building was sinking. Uh, In 2016, the building had sunk 16 inches and was tilting 2 inches. Uh, Now, then uh, 2018, I think, was the next big uh, testing that they did. And the building had sunk 18 inches and had a 14-inch tilt. 
And then at some point, a, a video went viral, probably on the, the nightly news, uh, where one of the tenants placed a marble on the floor and rolled it, uh, rolled it away from them. And very quickly, it stopped and started rolling back toward them. So a very obvious example of just how far this building is leaning. So how did this happen, right? Well, an oversimplification goes like this. It was built on sand. No, really. Along with the other buildings in this area, the Millennium Tower was built on sand. Now, the engineers would tell you it's just a very dense kind of sand, right? Totally capable of supporting the type of foundation we built and the tower itself. And after all, it's common practice in this area of San Francisco. I mean, many of the buildings in this area area were built using the same methods. But at the end of the day, it's still sand. And other buildings in the area have already gone through a process called underpinning. So this is a process in which piles are driven down to the actual bedrock along the edges of the building, and then they attach the piles to the foundation of the building. It's a costly process that wouldn't be needed if the buildings had been built on the bedrock in the first place. Now, as a Christian, stories like this are fascinating, right? Because you just can't make this stuff up. I mean, if you were writing a movie script, you would be hard-pressed to come up with a plot like this. And yet, here it is in living color right before our eyes. The Bible, which is the best-selling and most widely distributed book of all time, um, even when somebody creates a list that disputes that, uh, it is often because they can't quantify the Bible's numbers that the way, you know, the way that they can quantify the numbers of sales when it comes to Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or you know, whatever book series they want to track, those are easily tracked due to sales over time. But the Bible, in its numerous versions, translations, um, variations, all of it's just in a category all of its own. This coupled with the fact that many Bibles aren't even sold, right? Millions and millions of Bibles are given away, which suggests that these numbers are even higher. So you have this book in circulation that almost everyone around the world has heard of. And inside of this book is a story. You know where I'm going with this, right? The parable of the builders, Matthew 7, 24 to 27. I'm just going to read it for you because it's interesting. And it's short. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell, and, the, and great was its fall." For many of us, we not only grew up with hearing stories like this, but we also sang songs about them. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Okay, I'm not going to sing it all for you because you'll need to see the ear doctor next week. But anyway, you get the idea. As kids, we were brainwashed, to put it harshly. Uh, but when you build a structure, you build it on solid rock. Now I know this rarely happens in home construction these days, right? These homes are typically built on a concrete foundation, which sits on dirt or sand or rock or whatever happens to be in that region. 
and with a one or two story home, it seems to work out pretty well. But if your job is to build a 58 story skyscraper, it seems like this simple Bible parable, one that came straight from the mouth of Jesus himself, might be viewed as foundational, right? Something that should be, should not be overlooked. However, this isn't our typical way of functioning, right? Especially in this enlightened world where science is our new religion. At the end of the day, we know better because we are smart. We can study, we can test hypotheses, and we can determine what is best. We don't need faith or some supernatural being guiding us. We can take it from here. But unfortunately, the Millennium Tower begs to differ. It stands as a testament to the fact that we don't always get it right when we lean on our own understanding, our own scientific methods. I just love this as an illustration for where we're headed today, because today's topic is transcending up and to the right. In this episode, we're going to talk about three things. First, the cultural direction. Second, the economy of heaven. And finally, the art of following. Number one, the cultural direction. Simply put, our cultural direction is up and to the right. Uh, According to the Silicon Valley Dictionary, up and to the right can be defined as an incredible growth curve in your business metrics, also known as the hockey stick curve. So it's a graph with two axes, right? On the x-axis, you have time. On the y-axis, you have the growth or decline of whatever it is that you're tracking. So when you talk about something being up and to the right, you're simply explaining that this thing that you are tracking is growing or getting better as time goes on. You could actually say it like this. The sales of our widget are up and to the right this year. Or my career has been nothing but up and to the right. Or my portfolio has been trending up and to the right. You get the picture. But this isn't some strange thing that only businessmen and businesswomen use in relation to the sales of their products. This is also a cultural direction. Whether we use these exact terms or not, we live in an up and to the right culture. Everything has to be up and to the right or there is a problem. Just look at your life, the things that you are working toward, your career. You want it to grow, right? Your salary, for sure. The size and location of your home, the type of car you drive, the iPhone you have in your pocket, uh, exercising to get closer to your ideal weight, working out to gain lean muscle mass, eating better to reach your ultimate health goals, going on the right vacations, seeing the coolest things, having the active Insta story with polished videos and images of the good life, the success of your kids, the success of your portfolio, the success of your sports teams the success of your country in the Olympics, and the list goes on and on and on. We want everything in our lives to be up and to the right. Now, on the one hand, this is a good thing, right? Because up and to the right suggests we're growing, and growth is good, especially when you put in hard work to achieve something. But on the other hand, up and to the right fits into the whole cancel culture that we live in these days. If you aren't getting more and doing more and becoming more, you're canceled, you're out. Because in our society, a democracy built on capitalism, 
it loves success, right? It wants everything to be growing, succeeding, gaining value, gaining popularity, gaining status. You can see it in popular shows like The Voice, America's Got Talent, American Idol, things like that, right? This, these are shows dedicated to finding people who are moving in the right direction and then helping them get on a fast track to live up and to the right. The lottery, what's that all about? Well, it's an easy button of sorts, right? With little to no work at all, other than purchasing the ticket, you can be a big winner and immediately you're catapulted up and to the right. It's a system built on a foundation of money, possessions, popularity, and status. This is the society we live in. It is our cultural direction. Number two, the economy of heaven. So the question I want to raise at this point is, is up and to the right the direction we should be heading? As a Christian, for me personally, what is my responsibility? Am I supposed to focus on up and to the right, just like the culture I live in? Am I supposed to focus on it just at a slightly lower level? Am I supposed to stay out of it altogether? Or am I supposed to move in a completely different direction? Well, to me, this isn't an easy yes or no answer, right? It's pretty complex and it requires a few conversations. So the first conversation I'd like to have um, is related to this verse in the Bible. Actually, it's not a verse. It's a concept taken from multiple verses, but you'll recognize it. So this verse is, or this phrase is, be in the world, but not of the world. Interesting, right? So many questions come to mind. Well, what does that mean? How does that impact my life? What does it mean in relation to my career, my career choices, my salary, the car I drive? I mean, are those things part of being in the world or are those things part of being of the world? Like I said, difficult questions with no black and white answers. We live in a world of gray, which is why our intentions are so much more important than our outward behavior and our visible, tangible selves. Let me explain this way. Let me illustrate. So let's say that there's two guys and they purchase the same vehicle, right? Let's say it's a 2021 Lotus Evora GT, right? $115,000 car. Guy number one is a millionaire philanthropist who is in Africa building schools for the impoverished kids uh, 11 months out of the year. He has so much money, he doesn't know what to do with it. On the weekends, he often races cars as a hobby. So the Lotus is a new vehicle that he just hopes to have in his fleet that he can race and he can enjoy. Uh, at one race, he hears about this guy who's been racing his whole life, building his car by the sweat and tears with the little money that he can make on the side. And the millionaire, he's touched, right? His heart is touched. So he actually gifts his brand new Lotus to this guy because he's so impressed with his work ethic and his strong dedication to racing. Now, guy number two works an average nine to five job, very self-conscious, feels like he never has enough, always jealous of people who have more than him, works night and day, lives in a cheap apartment and puts all his money aside so that he can purchase the Lotus. He finally gets it and it is his life. All his money goes into keeping it running to keep it from getting scratched and to keep it out of the elements. He takes it out every now and then and he drives it through areas of the city where he will be seen. He wears his one expensive suit when he drives it so that he looks the part. And when he meets people, he has to lie about what he does. In essence, who he is. 
in order to keep up the impression he wants them to have. Now I know, a little too perfect, right? Very stereotypical. But that's what I was going for, because I wanted you to see the stark contrast between the intentions of the two characters in the story, right? Why did they do the things they did? And how were their hearts connected? How did they play into the story? Because ultimately, you need to get your heart right first. So which of the two guys had the right intentions, right? Which had a heart that was in the right place? Which guy would you rather spend time with? If both of these guys called themselves Christians, which one would you say was actually living out their faith? Which was living in the world and which was living of the world? Which brings up my second conversation. So let's talk about the economy of God or the economy of heaven. In the first section, we talked at length about the cultural direction we live in, right? Everything is up and to the right which on some level we could refer to as the economy of man or the economy of this world, right? So we have these two economies. How do they work? Are they similar? Are they different? Is the economy of heaven the same as the economy of this world, just a little better? Well, I would suggest no. In fact, I would suggest that choosing to be part of the economy of heaven is choosing not to get caught up in the economy of this world, which is all about up and to the right. So in our little illustration, guy number one seemed to be focused on the economy of heaven. Guy number two seemed to be very focused on the economy of this world. So let's define economy of heaven a little bit more. The only way that I can know to do this is to just make a list of what seems important in each of the economies, and then we'll be able to see the difference. So we've talked a little bit about the economy of this world, which suggests this hierarchy. First is me, right? What can I get out of the world? My career, my salary, my possessions, entertainment, fun, comfort, adventure, always moving those things up and to the right. Number two, family. Sometimes you involve family in the pursuits we just talked about, but not always, because living for me is more important. And this is why we have over 50% of the marriages in our country and in divorce, right? Because family isn't as important as me. Number three, friends, coworkers, and acquaintances. So after me and potentially my family, you know, I'll put some other people in there. And then number four, You know, if I'm a spiritual person, if I believe in God, you know, I may throw him in there at the bottom. And then at the very, very bottom would be helping others or actually giving back or giving money toward something that would help somebody other than myself. So that's the economy of this world, right? I mean, that that should feel pretty normal just living in the world that we live in. So then what's the economy of heaven? What does it look like? Well, you basically flip things over on its head. You start with God, right? Having a relationship with the person who created you, the being who created you, as first and foremost in your life. Next, come others, putting other people before us. Now, obviously, this can start with your closest relationships, right? Your spouse, your family, extended family. Um, putting those people before yourself. And and we can almost get on board with that when we live in the economy of this world. We can almost say, well, yeah, I get that because they're my family. 
but keep reading because number one is God, number two is others, and that includes everyone, right? Being willing to help another person in need, even above your own pursuits and desires. So then the third thing in the economy of heaven is me. There's nothing wrong with finding time to enjoy life, to have fun, to be adventurous, to work on your career, to work on hobbies. Those are all good things. But in the economy of heaven, you're just putting them in a right-sized way in your life. A position under your relationship with God and your relationship with others. So I know, very different, right? They're almost like polar opposites. But when you read the Bible, the verse where God talks about the greatest commandment, loving God and loving others as yourself, that is really what the economy of heaven looks like. Number three, the art of following. So this last section isn't going to be some brand new concept, right? It's simply me trying to flesh out this whole concept of the economy of heaven and what it looks like to live in that economy. So let's start with someone that everyone probably has heard of, Seth Godin. Um, he wrote a blog post that's very short, so I'm just going to read the whole thing. Um, but I think it fits well with where we're headed. So his blog post, interestingly enough, is entitled Up and to the Right. Here we go. The typical performance chart has two axes, and one is time. We can't do anything at all about time, so there's really only one axis. How fast did you grow profits? How many followers did you add to your account? How much muscle did you add to your calves? The problem with a graph that only has one axis is that it's dumb. No room for nuance. It's a blunt instrument, easy to game. If you want your profile to go up faster, simply cut corners. If you want more followers, buy them. Or lower your standards. Or pick a fight. And if you want to add muscle faster, sacrifice your health. Adults are better off realizing that we have the patience and intelligence to measure our lives on two or more axes. Which means instead of just one quadrant, there are four that maybe it makes sense to choose to pursue something longer term, more resilient, more important. That maybe the metric that was chosen for everyone isn't the metric you care about. So good, right? Especially that sentence, maybe the metric that was chosen for everyone isn't really the metric you care about. Maybe up and to the right, maybe the economy of this world isn't the economy that we should care about. Maybe there's something more important. And let me suggest that there is the economy of heaven and the art of following. So when we talk about following, what are we talking about? Following who? Following what? Well, as a Christian, this should be pretty obvious to me, right? The Bible doesn't leave much to the imagination. Jesus spent 33 years on earth, and one of his favorite things to do was to meet new people and say, come and follow me. But unfortunately, we don't all understand this to mean the same thing, right? This is very obvious based on the discrepancies we see within Christian communities, within Christian people. It's why so much of the world wants nothing to do with us, right? Because they look at us as hypocrites, people who say one thing but do something completely different. Preach love, 
display hate, preach unity, but yet we're divided into warring factions called denominations. But what if we all understood follow to mean the same thing? Uh, I recently listened to a podcast episode from Life Church, um, and it explained it very well for me. So the title of the, the message was Following Jesus in Today's World by Joachim Lundquist. And I'll put the link in the show notes so that you can find it and uh, listen to the whole thing if you feel like that's something you want to do. But in the message, he brings up this routine that Jesus had of calling people to follow him. And he walks through what it really means to follow him, Jesus, the good shepherd. He explained that there is only one place in the entire Bible where Jesus tells three back-to-back parables, all related to and all meant to reiterate the same point. So his suggestion is that if this only occurs in one place in the Bible, it must be very important. So these three parables are the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son, or what we commonly refer to as the prodigal son. So Joachim suggests that these three parables explain what it means to truly follow Jesus. That when he calls us to follow him, it isn't to focus on ourselves and what we can get out of the relationship. That's a very up and to the right way of thinking, right? That's the economy of this world. No, when we follow him, we are called to live a life of adventure, going with him to find lost things, lost people. This is the economy of heaven, joining God in the search for others, finding them and helping bring them into the same journey that you're on. So let's land the plane. This concept is so important. And it's one of the, you know, one of the main reasons why I wanted to talk about it this week is that I needed to hear it. I say it all the time. This podcast is as much me working through my crap as it is me sharing things for you, the listener. I can get so caught up in the economy of the world so easily. I mean, I'm drawn to it, right? The same way that a moth is drawn to a flame. I'm like a deer in the headlights half the time when it comes to the economy of this world. So it's really important for me to recenter once in a while, to remember that the cultural direction is not our direction. I get to choose which economy I live under, right? I can learn the art of following and what it means to help my creator find lost things. So this week, ask yourself the following questions. First, have you been living mainly for up and to the right? If so, are you tired of that rat race? Have you felt the lack of satisfaction that comes with always trying to achieve in every area of your life? Number two, is there a better way? Is the economy of heaven something that you could get on board with? What would it look like to turn your economy on its head and try something new? And finally, what does following mean to you? If you are a Christian, what would it look like to join him, your creator, in finding lost things? If you aren't a Christian, what or who are you following, right? If you choose to leave the up and to the right rat race, what does that mean for you? How how would your life be different? So that's it, friends. That's it for today. Thank you so much for being with us. Love getting to do this with you. Hope the summer is going well for all of you. Um, Have a great week. 
start swimming against the cultural current. And as always, keep transcending human. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of the Transcend Human podcast. For more information, you can go to transcendhuman.com, where you'll find additional content as well as ways to contact us and links to our social media channels. Thanks again for subscribing to the show, and we'll see you again real soon.